Welcome to the Get Out There and Get Known podcast. Join Pam Perry, veteran PR strategist, Emmy Award-winning producer and publisher of Speakers Magazine, who will show you how to crack the code in getting out there to get known. Each week, she either interviews her media friends, PR colleagues, or she just goes solo, offering you strategies on publicity, publishing, and platform building. So listen up to hear how to get booked on media places and on superstar stages. Now, here's your host, Pam Perry. Hey, this is Pam Perry. Thank you for joining me today. I'm really excited today because I have my special guest who is a Detroiter and a former TV Emmy Award winning TV anchor. So Darius Chisholm is my guest today. And I'm so excited because one, she just moved back here after being out of town, living on the East Coast for about 30 years. So she's back. We went to Cass Tech, which is her high school, and Wayne State together. So, and she was in what we call at Wayne State the journalism honors program, I guess you would say, that was started by our friend Luther Keith from the Detroit News. Give a shout out to Luther. And so really that was like an honors program. And she went on just to give a background of what I know about Darius. Uh, She went on and she was working in Detroit. She worked at WGPR, which is a legendary WGPR. Karen, who started the foundation, um, passed this year because of COVID. But WGPR was the first African-American-owned radio and TV station in the nation. And you are in that museum. I don't know. Did you ever see yourself in the museum? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you saw yourself in the museum. And uh, so one of the things, just give you the formal bio. Uh, besides being an Emmy Award-winning TV host, former NBC News anchor, and business coach specializing in helping her clients get seen, get heard, and get paid. So, you know, that's why I had to have her on Get Out There and Get Known podcast, right? Uh, That's her mission. That's what she's doing right now. She's a speaker, author, filmmaker, and the founder of 50 Shades of Silence, a social global justice project giving voice and dignity to victims of cyber harassment and revenge porn. So she'll tell us a little bit about that as well. But I supported that project and I was so proud of you for um, coming out with that and doing that, letting that be like really your mission. And I had never heard of it until you brought it to light. And and so that's one of those projects where it was uh, the lemons was turned into lemonade because now you have enlightened millions of people around the globe about what that's about. Because that is something that is, well, I, I'm like, I didn't grow up with, with social media. So I knew nothing about that. I, I, you know, so it's a real thing. It is really a real thing right now. So welcome, Darius, to Get Out There and Get Known podcast. Yay! I'm so excited to be here. This is a long time coming. And I'm happy that we are uh, finally connected here uh, for your viewers and uh, for each other. Because as you said, you know, we're both from Detroit and have such a similar background in terms of uh, the spaces and the places that we've been and the people that we know, and in many instances, even the work that we do. So I'm um, here and delighted to drop some speaker tips and media yeah. tips and anything that I can do to help help people um, become known and get out there and get known. <laughs> that's it. That's it. So we want to say real quick over here to Rodney Burris. He says her mission aligns with Ready, Set, Go, Speak. Exactly. She's like a the, the sister of of us over here. So right, I'm going to put Rodney's uh, comment up here if I can. 
um, because he, Rodney Burris, is in the program. And then we see another person over here, uh, Dave Bourne. He says hello as well. So just want to give a shout out to you guys. Hey guys, thanks for being here. Yes, yes. So one of the, the first questions I want to ask you, Derek, is... You were a news anchor, so obviously you had to come up through the ranks you, and maybe give a little bit of background on all the different places that you were, because you didn't start out as an anchor in NBC. Okay, so tell us like all the places besides GPR, because I'm sure there were some in between. Yeah. So tell us all the different roles and the places where you worked. Yeah, absolutely. I, I will say, though, that um, even prior to starting at WGPR, I wrote for a small newspaper on the east side of Detroit called East Side Citizens News. So at 16, I had my own column and I was uh, just talking about things that teens back in the day in Detroit um, that interest them. And that led to me uh, going to Wayne State and of course majoring in journalism. But I was also on air at WGPR. In fact, um, I was 19. They didn't even know that. <laughs> I didn't even know that they didn't know that. But um, I started uh, at 19, 20 years old and, and I worked at GPR for a couple of years. When I left GPR, I went to Dayton, Ohio where I worked at WDTN and I was a reporter there. And then at the ripe old age at 23, I ended up in Pittsburgh anchoring the weekend news and then covering the weekday uh, as a reporter uh, on the, the weekday news and then eventually became the main anchor um, for the 10 and 11. And I'll note that um, what was significant then and probably uh, remains to be significant is I was the first African-American female news anchor that the station had ever hired and wow. really proud to be able to do that. I was also very young at the time. I was 25. So 23 when I started, but 25 by the time that I had that position. So I stayed in Pittsburgh for 20 years off and on um, and anchoring the news. Uh, but along the way and always I've been in business. Uh, entrepreneurship has always been really important to me. And so I've had multiple small businesses along the way. And um, that really led me later to whenever I retired from television, and I'm still not retired because I'm still working on a couple of different projects, um, but it, it really allowed me to sink my teeth into not only owning businesses, but understanding the value of having a coach or someone alongside of you to help you to strategize and plan and implement. And that's where you know, I've really melded in not only my work in television, storytelling, coaching, and business development. And it leads me to where I am now, which is, of course, the work that I do with so many of my clients. Um, but it, it, it all, at the end of the day, really comes out of the power of storytelling. And you know that because that's the work that you do, right, with clients mm -hmm. and really what it means to, to become known for something, but by leveraging your story or the stories along the way. I love that. And that's really what you're doing, too, because you're leveraging where you've known you, what and it, you know, just so that people know, being an anchor at 23 is pretty amazing. And uh, so so coming out like the superstar with that part. And then how long were you an anchor on the um, the station, roughly? Yeah. And, you know, and so that was 30 years ago. And that was at a time where, you know, it was it was a challenge, a for 
females to to be considered anchors, but black females and young black females. So mm-hmm. any instant, and I didn't know that then, right? I just was doing what I knew to do and to to work at it. So um, I'm really, I really now I look back and I consider myself fortunate and blessed, and it's part of the reason why even along that journey, I was constantly. Uh, mentoring and supporting young people through the ranks who were interested in television and inviting them into the station and shadowing me so that I could show them what a a young African-American role model in a television station would look like, you know, 30, 20 years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's so odd for me to say that, but that's that's what it is. You remember Beverly Payne and uh, Beverly Payne in Detroit. It was Beverly Payne, Doris Bisco, Dinah Lewis, and Carmen Harlan. That was was what we had in Detroit. And Detroit being predominantly a Black city, we kind of thought that was normal, right? We did think that was normal. (laughs) And it's funny that you say that because I grew up (laughs) watching them and knowing that. And so it felt no different than when I went to to Dayton, Ohio, and then on to Pittsburgh, being, it was like, not even realizing that I was actually becoming the first African-American face that people would watch for 20 years. And, you know, I I owe it to those women who obviously set that as an example for me uh, growing up here in Detroit and then being able to, to do that in another city that did not have, you know, Pittsburgh certainly was not heavily influenced by African-Americans. So um, to be able to set the course for that is is pretty significant. And I'm only just realizing this in this conversation. So thank you for <laughs> helping me to like to presence that. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, they were like, they were like our Doris, Diana, Carmen, Bev Payne, Bev Payne, we watched every single night. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the women. And I guess there were some black men, I don't even remember, but it was like they were our Oprah and we just aspired to be. And so, of, of course, coming from Detroit, you know, this is kind of that, and I'm a little bit older than you, but Barry Gordy was just like a, a person that we grew up saying, oh, that's where the four tops live, or this is where such and such live. We grow up with that, just knowing like, isn't that normal? Right. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's, doesn't everybody have like stars, like mega stars in their neighborhood? Like, really? No, you don't. Mm-hmm. Or the, that Diana Ross went to cast and we went to cast. Isn't that normal? And so and then you go to Wayne State and you're still seeing predominantly in the city, 80 percent black. And during that time, Coleman Young, right, was our our mayor. And then we had all black, the school board, the police, the fi- everybody. And then you go and you move to Ohio. So yeah. what was that like when you were in Ohio? So kind of give us a little bit of background about yeah. doing that. Cause yeah, that's I, was young then. I was in Ohio from like 21 to 23 and, you know, just, and I, that's when I was reporting at WDTN and, and it, there was obviously a big difference and I could see the difference cause I got plucked out of a predominantly African-American city to go to Dayton, Ohio. Um, and, you know, just, getting my wings, if you will, in, in this industry, in this television industry. But I think for me where I really saw the difference was by the time I got to Pittsburgh, because um, I was a much bigger city. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was being, I had the opportunity to sink my roots in, if you will, and establish that as a home. But then being promoted to an anchor position was like, oh, well, isn't, you know, I, I didn't see this, as I said earlier, the significance and the fact that, you know, this was really a big deal for a city that had not 
seen that regularly. And so um, it was quite different. And, you know, the movers and shakers in the city weren't, did not look necessarily like us. Not that that matters because, you know, it, it doesn't, but it does to us. And so that's why, um, as I, as you presence this for me right now, it, it, it was significant. Yes. Georgette Johnson, also one of our classmates says, hey, Darius, it's been forever. <laughs> hey, Georgette, how are you? Oh, now I can see people coming. I, this is a yes. new platform. I have to- <laughs> so it's like live. So it's, it's I knew it would be kind of like homecoming because there's certain people that will come on and just say, hey, Wendy Ida, who is, says she's doing your thing. And I don't know if you know Wendy Ida, but she um, she says, lovely lady, Darius is in her field. She is one of the... Um, Wendy Ida is like amazing. I think she's like 65-ish or so. Looks like the new 30. I mean, literally is like- Wendy, make it happen. That's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, she is like the bodybuilder and doing all this health stuff and everything. Like, you know, staying young, staying fit, staying healthy. So the question I went back to ask you, so knowing a little bit of your background and everything, and you've seen all the newsrooms and coming up and doing all of that. So when you, people are pitching you, because people want to get out there and get known. And of course, they want the lights, camera, action on television. So what do you see? One is the things that they're doing wrong right away. And then what are some of the things that they could do to get noticed by television and to get on like a morning show or an evening newscast? Yeah, yeah. You know, interestingly enough, because in the last six years, I've been working primarily with a lot of my my coaching clients who are... um, experts, right? Authors, speakers, coaches who really do want to create a level of influence um, to find their ideal clients and customers. They want the media, but I am much more a fan of encouraging them to get on what I call OPP, other people's platforms. Mm -hmm. Platforms like this, Mm -hmm. um, podcasts, which are huge, YouTube channels, um, doing, getting into other people's Facebook groups, like really establishing themselves on that ground floor where there's so much opportunity for them to get exposure by being on other people's platforms. And I don't see enough people really leveraging that. Like you could be listening to lots of different podcasts and pitching yourself to get on that particular podcast or YouTube channel or what have you. And th- that it is easier than most people think. And generally your opportunity to get featured is easier than of course the work that you do, which is getting people onto mainstream television. So let's go for the low hanging fruit. Yes. You know, like that's because there's so much, and the more of that you do, the more you increase your visibility. And then it's easier for you to showcase and say, well, here's my portfolio of where I've been featured. You create a speaker's page and on your speaker's page, you list all of the podcasts and video podcasts and places that you've been. And while that might not look like ABC, NBC, CBS, it still shows that you have created some traction in media you know, in, in media that, that still exists on the internet. That's evergreen media. That's the other thing I'll say is that. Yes, forever. It's forever. And while it's wonderful to say that you've been on Dr. Oz, Megyn Kelly, like all the national and international exposure that, I, that I've had, out as, not just as a television person, but in the work that I do, there's nothing better than for me to list a long list of podcasts and shows like this because it shows that I've created um, an evergreen system of, of 
possibilities of where I've been featured. So when I'm working with the clients, I'm constantly saying, like, you have no idea. You being on someone's podcast that is evergreen, someone in a year from now might be listening to it. It's new to them and they hear you and then they go find you. If you plant those seeds consistently, it will spring up for you, but you have to be consistent in doing it. Ooh, you are really singing, singing really good because I, that is one of the main things that I was, so when you said the words low hanging fruit, yes, of course, people, I remember one time I asked the client, this is where do you want to, you know, media, put down your top 10 media that you think you can get within the next 30 days. It was like the Tonight Show. It was People Magazine. I was, I'm like, you're not a celebrity. I'm like, you're, I'm like, but that's all the media that they knew. They didn't right. know, like, that, like when you say media, just think like ABC, NBC, Fox or whatever. And I'm like, but there's so much more when you're on like a particular show. I had a client on the other day on the black news channel and they were on for like maybe five to seven minutes, but you're in a podcast. You could be on there for half an hour, 45 minutes and really display your expertise. And so I always tell people, I said, don't put your nose up to a podcast or any of these video uh, platform streaming things, because you can really show that on your website. When you get traffic, when people come and Google you, they'll see that half an hour or hour show of you. And that's better than if you're going to go, if you're on the news, you're not going to be on for an hour. No, and, and a community fair show, but I, you know, right. I mean, and unless that news outlet has a way that they then take that, like, let's say you were on the news tonight, if it's not featured on their website, if folks didn't see it on the news, they may never see it. Right. Same thing with print. You know, while print used to be the thing, and it's great if you get featured in the newspaper. But when that newspaper, when folks throw it in the trash, it's gone unless it's an article or something that's that's online. Mm -hmm. So really creating a footprint with those out those what I call OPP, people who have platforms that are web based is tremendous. And that's something that every one of your viewers can do. And they don't have to wait around, you know, for the ABC, NBC, CBS and these bigger shows to to say yes to their pitch or to come and find them for that matter. Yes, that is, that's one of the main key things. There has been a person in our Ready, Set, Go Speak program. And I would call him, he like, he's the A student because <laughs> he follows the directions. You, so you, know, you know, as a coach, <laughs> like we could coach all day, but if you don't implement anything, it don't matter how good we are. It matters on if you do it. So he's been doing the work and he's been over, I want to say over 30 podcasts. And he has really been working it and he perfected the pitch in terms of listening to the show first. That's key. Listen to the show. First of all, see if they have guests, then listen to the show and see if you match. Because sometimes, sometimes you can pitch a podcast. It's like, we don't have guests. Yeah. Don't have guests. So why are you pitching us? So he listens to the show. And then his pitch is brilliant. His headline in his email is really good. It talks about I've I've fallen off the bike or something like that. And then this pitch and then he ends it like, let's let's do this. Let's bring energy to your audience or something like that. And it really works. Every time he pitches, it hits yeah. magazines. He uses it. And I said, well, try it for magazines. Now try it for print because, you know, I like print. I said, try it for print. And he tries it for print. Same thing. And it hits. And I said, it's so now he has this litany. 
But what it really does, oh dear, it builds their confidence. Oh, without a doubt. It yeah. builds their confidence. It's like, oh, I'm I'm ready. So at this point, you know, they're chomping at the bit, right? Like, I want to get on CNN. I want to get on CNN. What do you think? I'm like, okay, let's watch CNN. What is their news cycle like? What what and, and besides CNN, there's some other parts of CNN. They can go on HLN or whatever, but knowing the individual show what they're doing. You just can't just show up on CNN and they're talking about George Floyd or, you know, Dante um, Wright. And then here you want to talk about whatever you want to talk about. It's like, mm, we got to make sure that we're in the right news cycle with, with that anchor or yeah. whoever that reporter is. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Mm. And, and I think that um, definitely pitching to the right podcasters is key. You, you, you know, and, and definitely if it's someone that you really enjoy listening to and what it is you want to talk about is in alignment to uh, their subject matter on their podcast. So doing that is great. Um, but here's the thing that outside of the fact that it is evergreen and you never know when someone's listening, you also never know who's listening. And that because podcasters are obviously growing their audience, there may be someone who's listening who is connected to media and looking for someone to feature in a particular news story or article. And that's the other thing that we missed the point on is to make sure that that, that happens. I'll share with you that I, um, I was uh, invited to speak on the Dan, on Dan Abrams had uh, a show um, and his, um, it was on his network and I was interviewed by someone in the network. And from that, listening to that was a producer from the Megyn Kelly show. And so Megyn Kelly show reached out to me to have me on the show. And then it was on, on Megyn Kelly. And then the Dr. Oz show reached out. So those weren't even things that I'd been pitching to. It happened because I happened to be on a Dan Abrams show. And that's why I always tell people, just keep putting it out there. You just never know who's going to hear what you have to say, and then look to you as the guest expert to reach out to you for their media. Get out there and get known. But you have the advantage because right now I'm looking at your background. So I look at Dara's background. Her background is very simple. She's got on blue. And, and you have to, I'm sure you train on this as well, about how to look and how to show up, how to look right in the camera, how to not have distracting jewelry on. I remember I did a, a show with uh, Valanda Calloway and uh, she, she does a show about TV tips or something. And I had these big feather earrings on and all this stuff. And I said, how do I look? And she would just laugh. She says, woo, it's like too much stuff going on. I look like I had a big bow on. <laughs> it's like, it's like, because the, the feathers were on this, she says, you know, so explain to people how you train people in terms of how to show up and look right on television, especially in this virtual world where everybody is like not going in a studio. So you don't have the advantage of having the right studio background. It's your background and they're zooming you in. Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, I don't necessarily train my clients on um, the way that they look in terms of their look on air. It's more about um, the elements of their story and how they plan to use their story to inspire their audience and then all and attract their ideal client and then sell whatever solution they have in the marketplace. So it's much more around that work. However, because I've spent 30 years in television and, you know, worked on camera um, and various productions, I'm also very keen to know that there are certain things that you should and should not do. 
Um, and some of the most important things you mentioned already, you know, not a very cluttered or busy background is really important, especially now that most of us are communicating via Zoom. Having proper lighting. I've, in fact, I think my light might be on too strong as I'm looking at it. I'm like, look at this ring light is, you know, but having good lighting is really important. Obviously, a camera, um, you know, I have a dual setup here, but I'm on a, an external uh, camera. And then good audio, like those things from a technical standpoint are really important. But, you know, making sure that your camera is at the right um, I, I I see so many people that have their cameras so far down and then people are looking up at them where, you know, I can see you here on the laptop, but the camera's here. So I'm conscious to look directly yes. into the camera. The other thing that's important too is like taking up a lot of space when you are presenting on Zoom. Um, and, and I know you're talking about like camera TV, but I just mean that most people these days, even being interviewed for TV are being interviewed from their homes because of COVID. And so creating what, what you might consider as a standard studio space, so you don't have to every single time, you know, get the cat out of the way and take things away, like find a space that is your studio mm -hmm. that you can make look nice, that you have your lights, that your camera's properly set up and you can sit down and go when that request comes in for you to be uh, on camera. So that's kind of those pieces. The other thing you pointed out, like dress, simple dress is really important. Even though I got these hoops on, but usually. <laughs> that's Detroit style. Yeah, that's Detroit style. <laughs> Usually, you know, sometimes I don't wear it quite but however, I have been wearing this bun. <laughs> this has become my new trademark. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. The bun look, you know, it gets to the point where it's like, you know what? It's going to be simple because I got a lot of stuff to do. Well, it's so funny from COVID, though. You know, I, so many of us, you know, we the COVID hair situation, because you couldn't go get your hair done. So my hair was really short. And in a year, it grew so long. So before I could get it up into the bun, I just wore it natural, which interestingly enough, like I never on TV wore my hair naturally curly. It all, I was at the, the salon every week because uh -huh. it had to be done in a certain way. And I gave myself permission to go natural. Like I was like, and 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 I started a show, this is a side note, but but you guys might want to watch. So there's a, a, a show that I'm crisscrossing the country interviewing guests on. It's called Tomorrow's World Today. It's on the Discovery Channel, Science Channel, and Amazon Prime Video. Um, at the time that we started filming was in July. And of course we were still in the middle of COVID. And I was just like, we, I was with a 10 person crew. We were traveling here and there. There was no getting my hair done. So I was like, that's it. I'm going with a natural curly look. And my mother, she was the first, she was like, what, what happened? What are you doing? Cause I was, you know, normally I would just wear, and I said, mom, I can't like, this is it. And the, the let first I had to give myself permission, but the level of freedom for myself was like, I didn't have to be conscious of that. It is what it is. You know, everybody's rocking a natural look, right? It's open. It's fantastic. So now that I can get it into a bun, oh, I'm doing something. <laughs> Side note real quick about the hair. So black girls in the hair. So pandemic hit and I was about to go to Aruba, couldn't go, but I had I had the Aruba hair. I was I had like a, a what they call a crochet look, a natural look. It wasn't natural, but it was like sewn in natural. So just so I can get in the water, whatever, whatever. And COVID hit, and so I could, at, 
our governor shut everything down. So for about six weeks, I couldn't do anything with my hair. I didn't want to do it. So I had this natural look and, and I was like, this is really freeing to just have this for this long. And so that's like my summer look. When when summer is, I get the natural look because we can do that. We have the, the flexibility, but you do have to give your permission to be who you are. And, and it's so freeing. And, you know, and I think because, you know, I came up in television where, um, it, I mean, like you, I had this bob like this, you know, like, and it had to be done consistently and we had to wear certain clothes. Like it was much more restrictive yeah. than what you see, you know, our news anchors these days wearing. And, um, you know, we, that that's what it was. And particularly at the station I was at, but I always was on the edge because I changed my hair. I'd have it colored. I had wore every different stuff, <laughs> but it was consistent. And it, I was at the salon every week, but the, the thought of it, me being natural just did not feel like I could do that, right? So you know, now that I am my brand and I own my business and I own my image, I can do with it what I want. But we also are in a space and a time where we see that happening more than ever, like that people um, all over social media are doing their thing. And that, you know, it's so freeing to be able to give ourselves permission mm -hmm. to do that. And, um, you know, it might just be because millennials, you know, like stepped into into, into oh, yeah. this online and just did their own thing. And us old folks were much more. <laughs> yeah, we never saw Oprah come on Oprah show with braids. Right. The only time she ever wore braids was when she went to South Africa. <laughs> Yeah, and that was appropriate there, right? Appropriate there, but like at at Harpo, no, she had she had her hairdresser on the set doing her hair right. all the time, and that and that was like the standard what black women saw as what they needed to look like on television. You know, Oprah kind of set the standard, but now, but I remember there was a, a Patrice Berry. I remember she didn't not go with the traditional thing. Um, Patrice wore braids on, on her show. And then uh, Rolanda, Rolanda was kind of like an Oprah yeah. where she would wear uh, different hairstyles and things like that. But yeah, it is, it is a whole part of the image today of that. You can be, you can do the braids, you can do the natural. And then of course, that whole industry about natural hair is a multi-million dollar industry. Let me tell you. It certainly is. <laughs> We could talk all day about hair. So oh my God. I, there was a, I can't think of her name. It's so many of these, uh, inst, I won't say instant millionaires, but they're millionaires from the hair care products that they created. And, and, you know, think about Madam CJ Walker. That's how she basically made her money. So I'm so glad that when I see the different black women that have, um, one is Gwen Jameer, who's from Detroit as well. Gwen Jameer has Naturalicious. And she is really employing people. And she, she created that product from her kitchen table. And now it is a multi-million dollar brand. Oh, and, and it's just, it's, it's called Naturalicious, like Googleicious or Bootylicious or whatever, you know, it's just like that, that's her thing. So Gwen Jameer does that as well. So tell people what you have coming up next and, and what kind of programs that you have, because people need to know how to tell their story better, to be excited about how to present that story. So tell yeah. them about what, how they can uh, work with you and really get uh, connected with Darius. Uh, yeah, definitely. So my website is simple. It's just my name, Darius.com. I love it. <laughs> D-A-R-I-E-T-H.com. I'm on social media as Darius Chisholm, so certainly connect with me there. But I have a free five-part video series on how to use your story to build a six-figure income, and that's at Darius.com. 
Derek.com forward slash framework. So Derek.com forward slash framework. Um, you can sign up to get the free five part video series. And I break down what I determine is a framework that every six figure, seven figure business owner uses to leverage their story in a way to earn their money. So I break that down. Uh, I'm also planning a live workshop that will be happening in uh, May where we will really pull back the curtain on you know, your story and, and developing your story and how you leverage and utilize that. Um, and looking also at what I call like uh, not only maximizing whatever platform you're using to get the word out and the message, but of course, working on um, getting you featured on other people's platforms. So some of that is what we talk about inside of the video series that you can get your hands on. And then what we'll be diving into in the live workshop on May 15th and 16th. Wow. Um, if you sign up there, then we'll send you details about, about that. I have a YouTube wow. channel so you can find out um, more at the YouTube channel as well. You know, there's one thing we're a little bit over, but you didn't talk about the project, the 50 shades. So, can you real quickly give me a little soundbite about it and where people can actually, can they actually get it or see it? Yeah. Um, so I'll try to do it as fast as I can. It's, I know. It's, but it's, it's, it's my platform. So you yeah. can take longer if you need. That's as right. want people to know that that is one of the projects that um, was a, a passion project that was like, it, you became an activist. So that's really like one of the things, because I know that I helped support it as well. So tell people about that. Yeah. And it, you know, I was an activist by mistake. Um, I had absolutely no intention of having um, literally my naked body thrown onto the internet without my knowledge um, and without my consent at the hands of an ex-boyfriend who had been secretly taking photos and videos of me while I was asleep living with him in Jamaica. Um, and that he did that as a way to exact revenge. In fact, telling me that I will silence you and destroy your celebrity and your credibility if you don't come back to the relationship. Mm. Well, little did I know that that is a thing. In fact, it's called revenge porn. It's a form of cyberbullying or cyber harassment. And it happens to millions of people every day worldwide. Mm -hmm. uh, and when it happened to me, after I spent over a year in the courts here in the United States, as well as in Jamaica, just trying to get the content removed and trying to reclaim my name mm -hmm. um, and take my power back. I realized that there's no real laws about this. Like there's, there's no real um, protection for victims and punishment for perpetrators. So I launched 50shadesofsilence.com first as a website with resources and tools for victims and for people who might be going through this form of cyberbullying or cyber harassment. But secondly, I decided that I would not only just share my story and what happened to me, but I, um, I uh, started interviewing other victims and ultimately created a documentary. Um, I had no idea that I would that I would become a filmmaker along the way, but that also happened. And um, we have successfully submitted to several film festivals and won several awards um, for this this documentary and the project. Um, you can see the trailer at the website, and it's five o shadesilence.com. You can also you know get more information, particularly if you might know someone who's going through this. Um, but the documentary as it stands is I'm looking for distribution. And so that might end up being on a video on demand platform like a Hulu or Amazon or, or Amazon. Yeah. So yeah. that work 
is yet, I, we're still working on that, but it is complete. It's available for information um, and, and for people uh, at the website, 50shadesofsilence.com. It's important. It's important. So 50shadesofsilence.com, I put it up there as well, because I wanted people to know that you became a filmmaker. And uh, even though that was a, a horrific situation, I don't know what, what that would feel like, but you, Daria, turned that around. And in one awards, I mean, just the courageousness of it. It's like that Detroit grit, girl. They don't know who they be messing with. <laughs> well, interestingly <laughs> enough, the tagline is "He messed with the wrong woman," but that came from my son because my wow. son was the one who reminded me. He was like, "Mom, you you can do something with this. Like, come on, you know he." He messed with the wrong woman. And almost mm -hmm. instantaneously, I remember, I'm from Detroit. Like, yeah. I just feel it's like, they take his earrings off. Like, you know, so in the documentary, we feature Detroit and we talk about, like, and so it, that, it's really, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, so. I love that. I love that. Derek, you are just amazing. You are just amazing. And then people over here, Evangelist, she said, this is great. Kyra Lewis over here. She says, the millennials have empowered us in so many different ways. Evangelist Renee Dickerson, good information. So they're just really just cheering you on. So I want people to go to Darius.com forward slash framework, and then also go to 50shadesofsilence.com. And then I teach things and go in depth about how to pitch, how to show up on media, how to get media, how to really pull your brand together, photo shoots to one sheets to writing the right bio. Your bio was, you've done so much, but it was so succinct and perfect. That's oh, what I love about that. You know, people who have journalism skills, it's like brevity is the key. So it's succinct. And, and, and we teach people how to do that because if we, if you're not trained in journalism, how would you know? How would you know how to put all this stuff together? So that's one of the things where we want people to get out there, get seen, get heard. And your last part is for sure for them to get paid. Right. Right? That's one of the things, you know, we're not just out here because we like to be seen, but we want to actually make it a viable business, a successful business. So thank you so much for joining us today. I am just so glad that you are back in the D and uh, people will know that, you know, so make sure that you go to Ready, Set, Go Speak. You can see the video there, find out more about the program. But you can also make sure that you sign up on our email list because there may be some things that me and Derek are doing. They're going to be doing this year live in person. Yeah. You know? So that would be something exciting that we we both have the same passion. Yeah. So we want people to get out there and get seen, get known and get paid. So with that, Derek, thank you so much for joining us today. And I will talk with you later. God thank bless. Thanks for having me. All the best to everyone. Thanks for watching. All right. You've been listening to the Get Out There and Get Known podcast brought to you by PamPerryPR.com, where you'll get insider tips on how to build your platform, pitch the media, and promote yourself with confidence. Head over to PamPerryPR.com and get the exclusive video training on the seven must-have marketing materials you need before you pitch in order to be considered in media places or superstar stages. PamPerryPR.com, where you help you shine like a superstar.